0: Welcome to the Texas Triple Play Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Staten. We have an episode chock full of all your spring highlights, including the players that have shined and the players who haven't. We have our minor league wrap-up, where we look at everything going on in the world of baseball outside of Texas and some trends that I've noticed defensively over the 2019 season. And in our minor league spotlight, we break down the Corpus Christi hooks and how they could affect the Houston Astros' 2020 season. That and more coming up next If you haven't already, though, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you get this every single week, and follow us on our social media platforms, TX Triple Play on Twitter and Instagram, and the Texas Triple Play Facebook group. That's where you can get the latest news and notes from the show, interact with us, and follow along in real time. With that being said, let's go ahead and get into it. to kick us off, we're going to move into the Rangers spotlight. Spring training, as I mentioned, has started, and your Texas Rangers have gone 2-2 two and two so far in spring training, with a run differential of just one run, 22 runs scored, and just 23 runs allowed. They have lost the last two games of spring training, but these spring uh, training games don't mean much, obviously, when you're A lot of your younger guys are seeing the field and getting playing time. But starting off with some injury news, Robertson Torinos is still dealing with a right hamstring issue. It is minor, um, but it's something he suffered in January uh, in some preliminary workouts, and he has not started catching yet. He will probably start catching at some point later on this coming week. So be on the lookout for that. We wish you nothing but, but the best, Robbie, as you come back. And uh, get into spring training. Your um, Rangers did have a, a really exciting game with the Marlins, a seven to five game um, that was really tight in the ninth inning. Um, ended up, they walked to load the bases, and uh, they got a, a strike, a third called strike um, against uh, the Mariners. Ended up winning the game. And uh, the guy on the mound for that third called strike is a guy I'm actually going to highlight. Um, a little bit later in this segment. But let's let's uh, go ahead and move forward. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention about the uh, spring is Brock Burke, who was the ninth overall prospect, uh, high-pitching prospect of the Rangers, appeared in the minor league last year, 7.35 ERA. But a younger guy, a guy that had some promise and might have worked into Um, You know, best case scenario, that fifth starter in the rotation um, or possibly a bullpen piece was probably going to be at least a solid rotational piece in your AAA this year. He is out. uh, He is having surgery that will keep him out the entire 2020 season. It does sound like Tommy John. So we wish you nothing but the best Brock recovering and coming back. Um, but unfortunately, this leads to another long string of Rangers pitchers that see themselves on a elongated IL sequence. Um, as I've mentioned in earlier podcasts, the Rangers do lead the major leagues in pitcher injuries since the 2013 season. Uh, now, I, I did a little bit further research on that. What I thought was interesting is you know a average MLB pitcher on, like I said, on average has about a 50% chance to get injured during the year. So your just average pitcher has about a, 50, a 50-50 chance of staying healthy for a whole season. An average Rangers pitcher, since the 2013 season, on the year, the average Rangers pitcher is going to get injured 81% of the time. So your, your, your Rangers pitchers are going to experience injury at some point during the uh, 20 season approximately 81% of the time if you compare it to earlier rates from Ranger pitchers that is the highest in baseball that is the highest uh, in obviously the the uh, al um, but all of the the major leagues and it's something that I think the Rangers need to look at you know there had been talks in the offseason on them looking at things like load management. Um, a guy like Cole Lynn who was a high prospect that they got in a trade um, that they were continuing to manage kind of his outings and um, how often he pitched and they, he was on elongated pitching uh, kind of schedule to make sure that his arm didn't wear out and unfortunately I think that's an area that you know you you have to start having to do because there's something wrong inside the Rangers organization that they end up building up and just accumulating these injuries and some people can point to it and say hey we're in an era now where kids you know start pitching or single sport kids when they're very very young And by the time they're getting to the majors, um, they have years of wear and tear on their arm. But, you know, that's that would be the case across the whole board. And we have seen Tommy Tommy John surgery go up um, year after year, um, especially, you know, 2000, I think um, since 14, we've seen a rise almost every year with um, an anomaly in 2017, between 2017 and 2018, where. Uh, Those Tommy John surgeries actually went down during the 2018 season, but then spiked back up during the 2019 season. And once again, the... uh your Rangers do lead again the MLB uh, in Tommy John surgery for that time period since the 2013 season. So there's something inside their organization that's causing them to have these these mass rash of injuries. I don't know if that's like I said work workload on the minor league level, if that's how they're um, you know throwing their bullpen sessions or how their coaches are pushing pushing them to throw their bullpen sessions, um, how they're being told to throw on the game days, on actually when they're on the mound. Um, All these things could be a factor, but um, I think the Rangers have to take a long, hard look at it. I mean, this is the second time now we've seen a guy get shut down uh, for injury in, uh, in duplicate seasons. Um, and, uh, they definitely, um, you know, it's definitely an area of concern. And, uh, while we're talking about pitching, one thing I did notice, uh, the MLB official MLB put out an article talking about the oldest and youngest teams in baseball. And uh, I've seen this type of article done before where, you know, they took, they take the average, uh, age of every person that's on a particular team and they break it out. Um, and then they, they give you the average, you know. Uh, which they did in this article as well. The Marlins were one of the oldest teams in baseball. But one thing I did mint, uh, like in this particular article is they actually broke it out by position two. Um, and they looked at position players, they looked at outfielders, and then they looked at uh, pitchers. And specifically, they even took it a step further and looked at bullpen. And the Rangers actually have the youngest bullpen um, per uh all the MLB clubs um, of, of any major league club, they have the average uh, bullpen of, of all major league clubs. And when you have guys like Jose Leclerc, Jesse Chavez, um, you know Derek Law, who's a little bit older, but Brett Martin, Luis Garcia, um, Johan uh, Mendez, Nick Goody, uh, obviously Brock Burke was going to maybe uh, equate into that. Colby Allard, uh, you know these are all young guys. Luke Farrell. Um, Edison Valquez who's a little bit older, but um, these are all you know guys that if you average them out, obviously very very young, and there's a lack of experience there in the bullpen for the Rangers. And Sterling, uh, you know, a dear, a dear friend of mine who was on the podcast a few weeks ago with Jimmy, spoke about how the bullpen was an area that he would love to see them address before the 2020 season. And you know, I have to agree with him. This is an area that at this point lacks experience, and they've tried to supplement that by bringing in some minor league players, um, kind of under the radar, that might turn out a guy like uh like Cody Allen, who was at one point a very dominant closer in the game, but has battled injuries. And, uh, you know, they have, like I said, they have some guys in their system, a guy like Colwyn, who we talked about, um, you know, previously, uh, just a, a couple of minutes ago, but a guy like Tyler Phillips, who we'll talk about a little bit later, a very young guy. Um, Tyler Ferguson, a, a guy that they brought in on my league contract that could be end up being something, but, um, you know, their bullpen is going to have to show out. They're going to have to show that they can... Um, absolutely get it done. If you look across the board, uh, for the, the previous season, um, there is not a single starter in projected starter in your bullpen, um, other than Jose Leclerc that has an ERA for their career below four. And he has a 3.55, um, Brett Martin in a very, um, you know, 54 innings last, last year, uh, ended up having a 3.67 ERA but for his career does not have a, an ERA below below 4. So um there's going to have to be a, you know definitely a progression um from the the pitcher standpoint and they're going to have to see uh if this doesn't work out maybe look to make some additional moves uh trade for some additional players but we'll see. I thought that was a, that was an interesting stat. The Rangers having the youngest bullpen uh, in the MLB. While we're on the the uh, topic of bullpen arms, there is a guy that I wanted to talk about that I hinted at a little bit later that has really shown out um, in spring training so far, and that's uh, Demarcus Evans. Demarcus Evans here is a is a big, fast throwing, stocky pitcher, who, at his best, is going to be throwing ninety nine, one hundred miles an hour. He has a slider that when it's working, when it when it works well, it works away from you um, and could potentially be a bullpen piece. And he was actually the pitcher that got them out of that ninth inning jam in the spring training game against the Mariners. Again, it's only spring training, but he looked good last year and he may have the highest upside of any prospect that you could see reach the major leagues this year. Um, if you look at for his career, uh, since he has has come up, his numbers have fluctuated quite a bit since joining the the Rangers system. Um, he was a, a draft pick in 2015, uh, but since then, in, in different uh, low A. Um, Uh, With different low A clubs, he's had a 2.34 and then up to a 3.10, 4.53, 4.85. In 2017, um, he ended up having 11.12 ERA, which absolutely is not great. Uh, But um, then dropped about down 1.77 in fall ball ended up having a 6 ERA. But all of last year, 2019, across two teams, Frisco and then high single A, He had an ERA of just 0.90, and what changed was he was able to start getting batters out with that slider, with that fastball, missing bats, and when he was getting contact, it was down and away, getting ground balls, getting pop flies, it was weak contact. Guys have a lot of trouble seeing the ball out of his hand. Um, And him being a right-handed thrower, he he worked really well against right-handers. And I think down the line, depending on how the Rangers season go and obviously how he does this season, he could end up being a piece for you um, as you move throughout the 2020 campaign. Um, An interesting thing that I wanted to note, on top of having a 0.90 ERA, he had a 0.95 whip, which means that he is missing a lot of bats and just a 3.3 hits per nine um, and a 0.3 home runs per nine. So again, misses a lot of bats, does walk about six guys per nine innings, which would put him uh, just at league average. Uh, but strikeouts per nine innings is up in the 15.1s, and he's enjoyed in his career. Uh, just the, uh, the season uh, prior, a 16.6 strikeout per nine, and in high single A last year, had a 16.1 strikeout per nine rate. So again, he was able to start missing those bats and was really able to work away from hitters, and I think it ended up really helping him um, and obviously we'll see if that ends up paying dividends for him as we move throughout the 2020 season, but definitely a guy to keep an eye on in Demarcus Evans. Again, a guy that's very much like Emmanuel Classe, um, that he is, you know, 6'4", 270 pounds, throws right-handed, is uh, 23 years old, was drafted in 2015, but has really, uh, showed a lot of promise and uh, could end up working into the equation as, uh, as we move throughout the year here. A few of the things I wanted to touch on before we wrapped up here uh, is there is a number of other young players that have um, kind of come into camp, um, and obviously one of those guys is Willie Calhoun, who had some playing time in center field last year. And if you guys have a little bit of time this week, I encourage you to check out a, a story that even uh, Evan Grant did, the uh, beat writer for the Texas Rangers, talking about Willie Calhoun and how he contributed uh, really his shift in not only playing, but thinking to the Rangers minor league coaching staff. And he talks about when he got sent down last year and he realized that there wasn't a spot for him in the outfield, how initially he did not take it very well. And he was very down on himself Um, and there was the coaching staff who was able to talk to him, able to get him really turned around and to where eventually he was able to put forth some very productive, productive numbers towards the end of last season so um, very interesting article like I said if you guys have some time this week I encourage you to uh, to check that out um, Evan grant put that out and it uh, had a lot of great things to say about some of the minor league coaches uh, and people that that he was around um, as I mentioned too there are some other young players that are have made their way into camp uh, littley Traveras, he's a 21 he's MLB ready when it comes to really being a, a everyday center fielder. But his bat just isn't there yet, and will need some development in that area. Um, Anderson Tavares is a uh, shown a lot of uh, you know kind of pop with the bat, but kind of his reverse of that needs to increase from a defensive perspective, and he missed all of the 2019 season with a. Freak shoulder injury um, is a really weird deal, and and he ended up having to miss in a a very long period of time. A guy that I'm very familiar with, and and you as a listener probably are very familiar with because we've talked about him previously on this show, Sam Huff, who was a catching prospect and a first baseman prospect, 22 years old, a lot of power, was in the future game last year for uh, the minor leagues. Uh, But um, one of the things they've mentioned is that with him being 6'5", uh, he's not your prototypical catcher um, you know normally those guys are between six foot and six foot three and he has a larger frame and they're wondering at the uh, the major league level where he might play and a lot of people are pegging him into first base also considering that there isn't much of a future plan for first base down the line. So we'll see how that works out, uh, but does have a big bat. And very much like Yodan Alvarez on Houston's side, eventually you just have to figure out a way to play those type of guys on the Major League level. And if Sam Huff can continue to progress throughout the season, we might see his bat at some point during late in the 2020 season or maybe early in the 2021 season. A guy that we've touched on as well, Tyler Phillips, He's 22 years old. Uh, He has back-to-back seasons of pitching at least 130 innings, which is great from a durability perspective. Has shown some pretty good numbers on the minor league level, um, and could get a chance on the major league level this year if uh, you know they they have some issues with some depth um, or they need to uh, you know kind of go a different direction if they end up DFAing some guys, um, uh, some older guys. And Shefton uh, Apostle, who is a 20-year-old third-base prospect, um, you know, obviously Josh Jung is probably the most high-profile third-base prospect uh, within the Rangers organization, um, but Apostle has 19 home runs on the Class A level in 2019, has shown the ability to have consistent power. He's able to get a lot of walks uh, for being that that Class A um, uh Type of player, and he's probably a long way from the major league level. Uh, but it's interesting to see them kind of give him a look at major league camp, uh, and we'll see how he progresses as well as we move throughout the season. So that's your news and notes for the Rangers. Um, like I said, a lot to go in the, through there, uh, but We did have a lot of uh, really awesome guys kind of show out this week. Derek Law is another guy that they signed to a very low-key deal, but has looked really good, zero ERA so far. And like we talked about, if he's able to get his off-speed pitches working – and uh, can rely on those, he could be a pitcher that could return to that high 2, th- low 3 ERA that we've seen um, in earlier seasons. So we'll continue to have the latest here as we move throughout spring training, uh, but that's some things to look look forward to um, as we uh, get closer to opening day. Let's go ahead and move into our Astros spotlight and uh, we're not going to touch as heavily this week on that sign stealing scandal. There's a couple of things that I'll probably mention, but not as in depth as we've gone in previous weeks. If you have interest uh, in you know what the details of that sign stealing scandal are, how MLB, how the fans, how the players, um, how the, the other players uh, beyond just the Astros have reacted to all that, make sure to go to listen to last week's podcast. I went in pretty in-depth Uh, into that and looked at it from all the different angles, including how I would have punished the Astros if I was the commissioner of baseball. So make sure to go check that out. And uh, two weeks ago, um, or actually three weeks ago, uh, I did a full breakdown of that sign-stealing scandal, what exactly had been done, um, and how the Astros was able to use that sign-stealing scandal to uh, have success in the 2017 season. So if you have more interest in either of those things, make sure to go listen to those previous uh, um, podcasts as well um, as far as spring training goes obviously the uh, the Astros got the warm welcome that you can imagine they would receive um, from not only uh, Major League as a whole but any team that they might be playing at the time um, it has been a very interesting spring training one thing I did want to mention kind of about the sign stealing scandal uh, there was a big news story that broke from a couple media outlets this week about how signs actual physical signs I have to be clear when I talk about this because obviously we're talking about a a couple different kinds of signs on this podcast, but a few actual physical signs were stolen or taken away uh, by the officials at the actual parks, uh, the ballparks there in Florida um, from fans. And there was this big story kind of broke about how, oh, they're taking signs away from fans and, um, you know, they don't they want to shield the Astros. Well, in reality, the rules for spring training clearly state that signs of any kind are not allowed. That's a rule that's been around since the 2015 season. Um, there was a situation a couple of years ago where a, a fan had a very interesting sign that I will not be talk I will not talk about here on the podcast, but you can go and Google that and uh, find what I'm talking about. And that sign was confiscated and the fan was removed. So um, signs haven't been allowed at spring training for a while. And I know that this, obviously, it being the Astros, and of course it being a sign stealing scandal, this type of story broke very large. Um, but that's not something that. Uh, from a uh, intellig- intelligent baseball perspective, a lot of fans just need to know those types of things aren't allowed at spring training. We're all here to uh, watch these new clubs and to look at um, the the new uh, some of the new additions, or in this case, a lot of old additions um, that the Astros might have available. A few things I wanted to note that. Were uh, brought up is George Springer will continue to be the leadoff in 2020. Dusty Baker was pretty clear about that. It, his his quote was, "You know, if it if it's not broke, why why fix it?" And uh, that's encouraging. I think Springer has really flourished into his own since he's moved into that leadoff spot. And we'll see if he can continue to have success as he's in a contract year, uh, but hopefully um, continue to show the power and the consistent batting uh, OPS and uh, batting average that that we've seen in previous seasons. Um, the uh starting rotation and sorry the starting infield actually did not get their debut till monday against the tigers so we got to see some younger players uh make some starts in a few days a few games before that and one thing i I thought was interesting having watched a few of the minor league games as i did with the rangers as well they're trying garrett Stubbs out a little bit at second base which i thought was really interesting as you remember in our previous podcast, talking about some changed rules for the 2020 season, one of those rules was adding a 26th roster spot to the active roster during the year, during the actual baseball season. And there have been a couple of speculations uh, from a few different people, from podcasts, from media outlets, on what that 26th um, spot uh, is going to be used for, things like a designated runner. Um, someone that is is designed to run for maybe the pitcher late in games or maybe an, an older type of hitter late in games, um, a designated uh, hitter uh, as far as a, a pinch hitter um, that might come in later in games. Uh, another example of that would be just another reliever, um, either to help uh, in longer inning situations or a specialty type of situations to get people out of uh, really tight spots. Um another type of uh of option for that is that two-way player like shohei Hotani, um which i don't know is is as highly represented throughout the league uh yet but with that kind of being a designation this year with the mlb we'll see if that's something that grows uh in utilization and then the last kind of option that's been thrown around is this idea of a third catcher now on face value a lot of people see that and they're like this isn't you know, sexy. This is not something that I really want to hear. Why in the world would you need a third catcher? Um, well, here's the scenario. You know, on most major league clubs, you know, in the 2019 season, you well, all major league clubs in the 2019 season, you had your starting catcher and then you had a backup. Now, in some situations, you had three catchers, um, especially when you had a catcher that was someone's personal catcher, uh, a catcher that would only catch particular pitchers. Um, and in that case, you might have someone brought up if a uh, backup catcher is dealing with some sort of minor injury that's not going to put them on the IL, uh, or maybe it's a situation where that catcher also is has an, a good bat or above average bat, or they're you know, quicker, which isn't typically found from someone at the catcher position. But with the the 2020 season, with that extra roster spot um managers are very concerned obviously anytime you think about that you're one injury away from relying on a backup and the interesting thing about catcher is your, the difference between your second and your third string catcher typically isn't that much. Now there is going to be some difference. There's probably a war wins above replacement difference between the two. You probably might have uh, a little bit of, of better defensive metrics for your second catcher than you do your third. But there's probably going to, in most cases, t- typically have different characteristics between those different guys. And a lot of managers at least around the league have mentioned that using that third spot for an additional catcher and i think what we might end up seeing is along with that third spot being for a additional catcher that person in that role who catches is also going to need to have some versatility to play in a few different spots so to see Garrett Stubbs who is a catcher by trade who's been a catcher for his career Uh, But try out or them experimenting with him at second base, I think is really interesting because it does give him that additional um versatility factor and the guy that was out there kind of walking him through the paces and kind of explaining to him the nuances of playing that second base role was none other than craig biggio when probably possibly one of the greatest astros players of all time a member of the 3000 hit club um just a fantastic person and baseball player and obviously a big part of the uh, 2014 team that went to the World Series and got swept by the White Sox. Um, So I think if you're going to learn from someone at that second base position, there's not much better to learn from uh, than Craig Biggio. So interesting thing there. A few other things. From Bear, Valdez has looked fantastic so far in spring training. Zero ERA. He... In his, uh, the game that he started, he sent down six of the seven batters he faced with three strikeouts. His stuff looked on point. He did issue one walk. But this is a player that last year, high three ERA, had about 50 innings pitched at the major league level, was able to provide some depth. Um, for an Astros club and has always seemed to be right there he always seems to be the prospect that is right on the cusp of breaking out for the last two seasons and I think with the additional depth needed by the Astros this year at the at pitching and through the starting rotation and the bullpen this could be the year that you see Valdez take that step forward his stuff is an above average fastball he has a good breaking ball and a Fairly good changeup that he relies on heavily. Uh, but the, the thing that's going to keep him in the major leagues is being able to limit the amount of pitches that he needs to get through multiple innings. If he can eat Innings and he can get himself through innings quickly. I think you'll stay see him stay at the major league level for the duration of the 2020 season. Additionally, Brian Abreu, who's fairly young, a fairly young pitcher, uh, his stuff looked really, really good in his outing. He was able to uh, bring down six hitters um, and four strikeouts from those six hitters. He has about a mid to high nineties. We're talking 94 to 96 mile an hour. Uh, fastball and a slider that absolutely just drops out of the picture I mean this thing starts on one side of the plate and works his way all the way around he has a high ceiling um, and a uh, also a high floor which is nice I think if he can stay healthy I think health will be his biggest key if he can stay healthy we'll see him probably work his way into the bullpen in the 2020 season because again that depth that is needed um some interesting observations that were made uh just on the Astros in general they did go one and two with one of the games being rained out um uh so far in spring training they do have a run differential of uh, 16 runs for 10 runs away And uh, they have one of the lowest ERAs out of all spring training clubs. So, I mean, obviously it's spring training. We're seeing a lot of young players, but that's good to see. Um, And uh, it's nice to see a lot of guys out there. Some other guys I wanted to highlight um, that have just looked good so far in spring training. Miles Straw. Miles Straw has gotten the start so far in all three games at different positions, mainly at second base, though. We know what he can do with his speed, but his bat has been the thing that's really showed out so far in spring training. Uh, he's batting about 600 so far, which obviously that's not going to stay. But if he can continue to have a, a batting average, even in the high twos, and show that defensive improvement that is needed for that middle infield position, we might see him get some uh, some playing time there. Um, especially going to see him maybe stick to the club if he can be that base runner in some uh, late-game situations or high-leverage situations. So Miles Straw, so far, great in spring training, and it'll be interesting to see how he does as we move throughout the year. Uh, One other thing I wanted to note, Jose Altuve did get hit and booed in his first game coming into spring training, which is not surprised. This was not a malicious a fastball of anything of that sort. It was an off-speed pitch that simply just uh, got lost um, from the pitcher's hand and ended up hitting Altuve. It didn't look like it was uh, purposeful. didn't look like it was, like I said, malicious in any way, but it did happen, and, of course, the media took that and ran with it. Uh, But, you know, Astros fans, get get used to that type of reception. Get used to a lot of booze. Um, I have a buddy of mine who's actually at spring training right now. Uh, He was texting me and, and telling me just how absolutely packed every single one of the Astros spring training games have been uh, and the majority of those there were Astros fans but the majority of those are just MLB fans as a whole from all different clubs to make sure that their voice is heard and I can promise you their voice is being heard loud and clear so um, you know get ready for a very interesting 2020 season. Get ready for every ball club uh, and every homestand for uh, different ball clubs to sell out as fans let the Astros know just what they think of them. Uh, And uh, obviously, it'll be a fun year, and we'll see how that progresses as we move uh, throughout the uh, the 2020 campaign. Um, One last thing I wanted to touch on, Jim Crane did send out an email to all the season ticket holders. The uh, email was very interesting. To say it kindly, if any of the things said in this email had been said at Jim Crane's press conference, I think we would not have the media uh, just outcry that we had right now. Um, Jim, Crane th- Jim Crane said things like, we're sorry, um, what we did was wrong, we are doing everything we can to make sure that we play with a respect for the game and a respect for Houston in the 2020 season. Things like that are things that people want to hear, um, but unfortunately they were only sent uh, to Astros fans and to Astros season ticket holders. So um, we'll see if Jim Crane is more vocal as the uh, the year moves out, but one last interesting note that I wanted to throw in there. Astros fans, how do you feel as we move into uh, starting day, as we uh, feel about the rotation? How do you feel about... Um, the outfield situation with Kyle Tucker and the other players how do you feel about the catching situation uh, with the lack of Robinson Trinos now we'll all those are all questions that will need to be answered but for right now let's enjoy spring training and enjoy that baseball has returned This week in our Minor League Spotlight, we are going to highlight another team in the Texas League, the Corpus Christi Hooks, but before we do, I wanted to mention one thing about the uh, spotlight that we had two weeks ago, um, the Amarillo Sod Poodles. One thing I did fail to mention, they are going to be the host site for the 2020 Texas League All-Star Game, so If you think you are going to be uh, in or around the Amarillo area June 23rd through the 26th, they are going to have the All-Star Game um, complete, obviously, with the game itself, but a home run derby. Uh, and many other uh, competition and challenges, so a lot of fun, a lot of uh, obviously all-star games are always fun, but especially fun from a minor league level, very entertaining, and uh, something you definitely want to uh, check out. So uh, with that being said, let's go ahead and move into our minor league spotlight this week, which like I mentioned is the Corpus Christi Hooks. A few interesting things about the Hooks, is they, uh, they do rest, obviously, in Corpus Christi, but that was not their original starting place. They did originally begin in the 1968 season as the Memphis Blues and had some success there before moving to Victoria, Texas in 1974 and becoming the Toros and appropriately playing in the uh, Toro Stadium. Um, The following year, they moved to Jackson, Mississippi, and remained there for 25 seasons as the Mets, the Generals, and then uh, the following that left Jackson and was purchased by a, a baseball player by the name of Nolan Ryan, who is very familiar, obviously, with the Astros and the Rangers fans in the 1998 season, and he moved the club from Jackson, Mississippi to Round Rock in the 2000 season, and uh, they became the Round Rock Express, which is a little confusing, um, but we'll touch on that here in just a second. The Express stayed there for uh, five years, um, and then in the 2020, sorry, the 20, uh, 2004 season, um, the owners of the Edmonton Canada AAA franchise um, ended up moving that club to Round Rock, and the uh, Round Rock team was uh, able to become um, what is now mentioned as the, round, the true Round Rock Express, but the team that was originally in Round Rock being a double-A team was moved to Corpus, and they had a naming contest, and at that point, uh, one of the fans came up with a name, the Corpus Christi Hooks, uh, which is uh designed to highlight the colors white, red, and blue, which represent the ocean, the sky, uh, and the skyline of the popular South Texas fishing city. So just some interesting fun facts uh, for you guys uh, as Hooks fans. Their ballpark is called Waterburger Field, and appropriately so. There are uh, orange and white colors everywhere. And uh, some major league players who have played for the Hooks throughout the seasons are guys like Matt Albert, uh, Chris Sampson, Hunter Pence, which we talked about on this show previously, Jason Castro, Christian Davis, Jose Altuve, J.D. Martinez, Dallas Keuchel, Carlos Correa, Alex Bredman, J.D. Davis, George Springer, and most recently, Jordan Alvarez. Currently on the hooks, they have some high-toted prospects that you especially want to keep an eye on during the 2020 season, the first being possibly Forrest Whitley, depending on if he ends up resting in A or AAA throughout the season. Uh, But Forrest Whitley is obviously going to be a sight to behold, not only because of his stature, but also if he does have his stuff going, he is one of the top prospects in the Astros system and one of the top 10 prospects in all of baseball. The best player on the hooks last season was Abraham Toro, and if he ends up in AA this year as well, that won't be any different. Uh, he ended up hitting 363 last year and uh, was pushing the ball all over the field, the type of guy that really hits what you give him. Best power hitter last year was Chandler Taylor, ended up hitting 29 home runs in a shortened minor league season, so a lot of power there for the designated hitter slash 1st baseman. And uh, the leading walk guy for the 2019 season for the Hooks is Jeremy Piena, who is also a highly toted uh, shortstop prospect in the Astros' system and the type of player who has a very high on-base percentage. Jeremy Jordan Brewer is a draft pick from Michigan, just being in the majors, uh, just being in the pros just two years, and has not only the fastest base running time of any player on the Corpus Christi Hooks, but is probably the best athlete. Uh, He's most famously known for uh, beating the Texas Tech Red Raiders in the World Series Championship and ended up progressing his Michigan squad all the way to victory in the uh, 2016 and 2017 um, College World Series. Some top prospects uh, that have been seen at this level um, just throughout the, the last few years uh, Corey Lee might wind up on AA this year, uh, the catcher for the Astros, um, but if he does not, uh, guys like Seth Beard, who have enjoyed success at this level, uh, J.B. Barakis, who was uh, put into the Zach Granke trade, and of course, a guy like Brady Aiken and Alex Bregman have all been tied draft picks um, that have seen time along with others. Uh, at with the Hooks um, and Corey Lee would like to be one of those guys that follows uh, those types of names to hopefully have success as well on this level. A few other things that I felt was interesting about the Hooks they do have a new manager uh, the type of guy that he ended up having a, a a total of 74 record trades releases and signings in two decades in the major leagues. Giorgio Petit um, is the brand new manager of the Corpus Christi Hooks. He was an infielder for the Astros in the 2014 season, but like I said, has been all around him. Hopefully, uh, will be able to bring a lot of success to uh, the Hooks, um, having to replace Omar Lopez, who won the 2018 Texas League Manager of the Year and 2019 Texas League Manager of the Year. So, uh, big shoes to fill. Lopez took over as the first base coach in December for the Astros, replacing Don Kelly, who moved on at, to the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates as their bench coach. So some interesting things there as well. Another interesting thing is the Hooks were one of the first organizations in baseball to hire a woman, uh, Rachel Baklavic, which is a was a strength and conditioning coach for the Hooks last year. Uh, Was 32 years old, she was putting out tons of applications all across Major League Baseball and famously changed her name from Rachel to Ray and started sending out the same resumes and instantly started getting callbacks. And she doesn't just work for any Major League organization, but actually works for the Yankees um, and was hired as the first full-time hitting coach by a Major League club. So um, good for her, good for the Hooks, for giving her the opportunity um, there uh, with Uh, in the city. Some other things about the Hooks, obviously, as I mentioned, Waterburger Field, I actually have been to this ballpark. It's positioned uh, right near the coast, but it is getting a a little bit of a facelift. About $3 million in renovations are coming to Waterburger Field, including a new outfield led video wall that will be one of the biggest in minor league baseball some general repairs to the building along with some new padding upgrades to trainer and clubhouse uh, areas but also enhancements throughout the ballpark including some hospitality areas some kids areas um, some food and suite areas as well when you go to Walter Burger Ballpark, one of the coolest things is all the things they have to do for younger kids, including a slide located actually in the outfield. So just one of those minor league clubs that does put an emphasis on entertainment and really, makes it do, do, really does make it feel like a full family atmosphere. So definitely something to check out if you live in and around the Corpus Christi area or if you're traveling through, definitely a ballpark to look forward to in the 2020 season. As far as success in the 2020 season for the Hooks, during the 2019 season, the Hooks were actually third in their division and sixth uh, lowest winning percentage of all teams in the uh, Texas league. The division is pretty loaded as far as the Sod Poodles being the reigning champs uh, and in their Texas League South division. But the Rockhounds posed a threat as well. Uh, Ideally, like I said, you would like to see them have a lot of success, especially as Astros fans hoping that those prospects can come through the system. And as guys like Jordan Brewer, Corey Lee uh, continue to develop as well players, Guys like Tyler Ivey, who we've talked about on this podcast before, as those types of players continue to have success and develop, they could end up having more success on the field. But the Astros do have one of the lowest minor league systems now in baseball, so I wouldn't expect a huge turnaround from the 2019 season. Uh, But we'll see. Obviously, minor league baseball can be so up and down so left and right you never really know what you're going to get the drillers last year the Tulsa drillers who were also in the Texas league uh, were projected to be one of the worst teams in the whole division and they ended up winning 37 games second most of all the Texas league just behind the Arkansas travelers and uh, competed for the championship with the Amarillo Sod Poodles and just lost. So obviously we'll have the latest here as prospects move their way through the minor league system and how they could affect the major league clubs but make sure that if like i said you are in the corpus christi area check out a Hooks game they are a lot of fun they're going to have a lot of updates and improvements to that ballpark this season and you won't want to miss out on one of their Waterburger themed nights which are one of the coolest things in all of minor league baseball to see Until next time, this is the Minor League Spotlight. Let's go ahead and move into our MLB wrap-up. In our Major League wrap-up, I wanted to touch on a few things that I felt was interesting in and around the world of baseball over the last week, including... A very interesting article that I found about defensive metrics and defensive shifting in the 2019 season. Uh, I'm going to start, though, by just some headlines in and around the league. The Yankees have been called out by the Red Sox, shock surprise, for what they believes is possible uh, cheating by the Yankees by using a camera of their own in the outfield to steal signs. So obviously we have the Astros situation going on right now, but the Red Sox calling out the Yankees, claiming that they have evidence on video that the Yankees were cheating during the 2019 season. As much as Major League Baseball wants this to go away and they want this sign stealing issue to be swept under the rug, I think that more and more of things like this are going to continue to come out. And as I looked into this this week, I've talked about how prevalent sign stealing has been in the game of baseball, but I was looking at just a few different stories throughout history of where sign stealing came from. I actually started reading a book called The Hidden Language of Baseball, which is phenomenal if you get a chance to check it out. But it's all about sign stealing and where the idea of sign stealing even came from and how they used to do sign stealing back in the um, you know 1900s, late 1800s. And they would do things like they would have flags that they would show to identify particular types of calls to, um, uh, to baseball players. They had lots of different signals that they would use. But one of my favorite stories that I read... Um, Going back and looking at histories, in 1984, the manager of the Oakland A's has admitted that the equipment manager would flash outfield lights on and off to indicate to batters what the sign was on a particular pitch or on a particular sequence. And I just think that is the most interesting thing, not to uh, de value what the Ashers have done in any way, but just because it's so interesting and so inefficient uh, and so ridiculous, to be um, quite frank, that it it has to be true, and a team like the A's would be the teams to do it, Uh, but I can only imagine a batter waiting in the box, looking in the outfield, hoping that uh, a light blinks one way or the other so he knows it's a fastball or uh, it's an off-speed. Um, the the whole idea itself seems very comical to me and some guy sitting in a broom closet somewhere flip, flipping a switch on and off on cue as he's getting signs from someone. Um, and I just have to think that that guy's name, uh, the equipment manager's name, has to be something like Chuck or Frank or something of that nature. And no offense to anyone named Chuck or Frank. It just happens to be a stereotype. Um, and, and stories like this, there's a long thread of, of sign-stealing Um, stories that I could go through but I won't touch on those too much here but Uh, The book gets into some of those. I was able to find some of my own. Sign-sealing is not new, but the way we are doing it is. And um, obviously there are going to be greater restrictions on the electronic usage of devices specifically to restrict sign-sealing in the 2020 season. And uh, as we move forward as a game, I I want to see kind of how we progress. Are we going to get to a position where the pitchers and the catchers eventually have earpieces? Are we going to have electronic devices that communicate the pitch type, you know, uh, on different people's wrists and how is that even going to work. So it'll be interesting to see how the the game of baseball that for the large part has stayed um, tied to its traditions, see how that alters. And on the topic of traditions, something else I wanted to touch on um, during uh, this podcast is for the majority of baseball's career... Uh, baseball's history, we have seen defensive shifts uh, not be utilized. The first real sign uh, of a true defensive shift um, to uh, limit a hitter's ability Uh, to get on base was most famously the Ted Williams shift where they would move their infield to the right side of the infield to guard against him pulling the ball and he was so common to pull the ball to the right um, that it caused him to change his approach and Ted Williams one of the most uh, popular hitting you know, legends of all, all of baseball, most famously almost hit 400 one time for a season. Um, these types of shifts were, you know, to utilize to just slow him down in any sense. But since the 2012 season, we've seen a slow progression of defensive shifting continue to rise in the game. And most famously, last year was the highest rate of shifting of all MLB teams across the sport. And when I was looking at this defensive uh, connection and these defensive metrics, one thing stuck out to me, and that is the two highest teams that employed the shift in the 2019 season were the Tampa Bay Rays and the Houston Astros. And what is interesting to me is obviously Tampa Bay has done a great job of utilizing a low payroll, maximizing talent, and part of that is putting guys in a position where they can execute ground balls and turn those into outs and make sure that the pitchers are being efficient and working them through innings as quickly as possible. And a guy like James Click, who had to do so much with so little, I think is going to fit in Houston perfectly um, and with that ball club as he starts talking about things like advanced analytics, things like sabermetrics, I think he's going to find that they're going to be more open to it than they are against it. On the flip side of that, a guy like Dusty Baker has historically been against this analytical trend and it'll be interesting to see how he has progressed in his time away from baseball and if he accepts what Uh, James Click ultimately would want or maybe will want to do uh, in the 2020 season. One last thing I wanted to touch on in the game of baseball is this idea that Major League Baseball is going to be opening on the same day for all teams. And March 26th, for the first time ever, we're going to see all 30 teams in action starting on opening day. Uh, but because of that, we're also going to see kind of a synchronization of the schedule throughout the season for ball clubs. So you're not going to see as as uh, these these long games off. You're not going to see hopefully a lot of back to backs um, on the same day, uh, and it's going to give players a larger amount of rest. And some players have been vocal about that, talking about how open they are. To expanding the amount of time that the season is, but maybe decreasing the games. And uh, the NFL right now is talking about uh, increasing the amount of games in their season, going from 16 to 17 games. And obviously, this is much different in the game of baseball, considering you play 182 games. But I wondered as I started thinking about this, what it would look like for baseball to alter the amount of games that it played. And really, the NFL seems to be one of the last leagues that still has a high emphasis on the regular season. Obviously, uh, professional baseball and um, college baseball, even college baseball, has a longer season than what you could find um, for a, a football season. And it's closer to what you would find maybe for then maybe like a basketball season, a college basketball season. And I wonder. If players um, are going to start being more and more vocal about the amount of games they're having to play, if we'll see things like load management in baseball ever come than like what we've seen in the NBA, considering they just play 82 games, um, and see how this progresses. We've seen last year, you know, games that you had big name stars not play. And I think that's another issue in the game of baseball as well, as you have these highly marketable stars, guys like Mike Trout, a guy like Bryce Harper, um, but they don't put their best foot forward in a lot, a lot of their marketing material, and many players that guys don't know, a guy like Brian Dozier, who obviously many baseball fans would know, actually just signed with the Padres, um, was... Uh, you know, a, a high character guy, but not a guy you would want to use um, from a, a marketing standpoint. And he was on the very front of an MLB ad that I had just the other day. And I was thinking about it to say that this is not the the face that obviously Major League Baseball wants to put forward. Nothing against Brian Dozier, but you want your biggest and brightest stars to be the not only the face of your sport, but the face of their franchise. And you want those guys to be vocal. And obviously we've seen guys like Mike Trout be vocal about things like the sign-stealing scandal, and other players uh, start to be vocal about the sign-stealing scandal. And this is one of the first times that I can remember in the game of baseball that players have come out to really vocalize in unison against something. And I, I wonder if this will spark kind of a rally, and we'll start seeing this more often, like I said, whether that be for uh, a change in the game, whether that, uh, the amount of games, whether that be for a change uh, when we come up for a new CBA, uh, whether that be for a format for designated hitter or non-designated hitter, um, or adding additional roster spots or things of that nature. As soon as players realize that they have a voice that will be heard, they're going to use it, and um, that's something that I encourage and something that I'd like to see as these uh these baseball players we continue to um, thrive off of their personalities and thrive off of their characters um, and character that they use to play the game of baseball. So, a lot that I wanted to highlight and kind of talk about there, a little bit of a rant, but. Some things that I just wanted to touch on and get into, and I thought was interesting in the world of baseball this week. Thank you so much for listening to the Texas Triple Play podcast. I have been your host, Ben Staten. Please do follow us again on our social media platforms, TX Triple Play on Instagram and Twitter, and the Texas Triple Play Facebook group. Additionally, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you get the latest of what we have each and every week. We are in the early stages of working through some very excited projects, exciting projects that we have for the podcast, uh, and for the uh, Texas Triple Play family. And um, those are things that you want to be in touch for as soon as they go uh, live so that you can be part of that. So you'll hear it here first. Otherwise, until next week, I have been your host, Ben Staten.